Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bellwest. And this time we're talking about one thing, and one thing only, at an extended length. We're talking about the ending of an era. And uh, before we do that, we'd like to talk about... Well, first of all, thank you to Glenn Lewis, who dropped some money in our tip jar. Thank you, Glenn. If you, if you would like to uh, join him and be, and be thanked, um, paypal.me slash rogerbw and say, say which thing it's for, because there are several things I take money for through there. Our friends, acquaintances... Uh, the bundle of holding are on a horror kick uh, leading up to um, Halloween, which will have passed by the time you hear this. Uh, but some of the uh, offers will still be there, and Roger wants to talk about one. Well, this is not a game I've played, to be fair, but it's one that looks a combination of interesting and mm. broken in possibly fixable ways. Deadlands Noir. Mm. So this is, in theory, 70-odd years after the original Deadlands, which was the original, the, a the original weird, weird De- West game. I, yeah, the original Dead, Deadlands, or the currently revived Deadlands, or is that too complicated a question? Well, the, this is a repeat of a bundle from 2016, so... Oh, probably not the... Uh... I, uh, the, I, I do the, not know how the setting may have changed in the revision. Um, the the one I know, the one I briefly played, uh, is basically let let us find everything that can possibly be squeezed into a Wild West setting. So you got zombies, you you got magic, uh, you got weird science, you got everything. Yep. I also, think that, also you got the Confederacy, and everybody seems entirely cool with that. I believe that that was one of the things they decided to revise. In the uh, in the new edition, mm-hmm. oh how sad! Never mind. Uh, so in this, it's nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, New Orleans, uh, uh, which down these you will mean streets is in the Confederacy. Uh, now these mean streets, a man must go with a mint julep. Yeah, that's going to get warm really fast. Um, yeah. It's weirdly close to alternate history. I mean, if you said to me. There's been a divergence ten years ago. That's yeah. the way I might expect this to look. You you have recognisable weapons like like the BAR and, and the Thompson submachine gun. Yeah, that is odd. Um, Lazy, but uh, and understandable. I mean, odd. on the one hand, you want a twenties, thirties New Orleans with the magic. Um, you 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 are you are indeed going down mean streets and detecting stuff. This is the stuff you want in a game like that. It's just it makes no sense in terms of descending from. The other deadlands, it should be unrecognisable by now. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, the the, the other deadlands had, as you said, said weird science and pseudo high tech stuff, and you'd think they'd be using the descendants of that mm-hmm. useful technology rather than um, uh, that than say Tommy guns. But I, what, I did. I did want to see somebody had a really 
solid theory about this. You know, many superhero comics have super geniuses who do amazing things. Why don't we see them in the world? And I had this idea about how there, there, there is some sort of morphic field of the super genius, so his inventions only work for him. Yeah, if, no, if they're too far in advance of consensus science, it's a it's a common a common trope. <laughs> I believe that the uh, that, that that's certainly how Mage the Ascension uh, uses advanced technology does advanced technology, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think there's, there are hints of it in Girl Genius as well. Anyway, this doesn't do that. Uh, yeah. This is also doesn't have the original Deadlands system. I think that's now being completely abandoned. It is a Savage Worlds game. Yeah. Um, and I know you've played a bit of Savage Worlds because you played it with me. Uh, my feeling is that Savage Worlds tends to force a particular play style. Um, uh, you, I mean, you can yeah, do fast, a, a thinking detective furious. game. Yeah. But yeah, it, it really wants you to be all about the fights and pr- preferably with miniatures and preferably face-to-face unless you have... I mean, if you're using Roll20 or something, you can probably get a module that will do the initiative cards, but it really wants you to be able to give initiative cards to players. Yeah, World Twenty will will handle um, will handle playing cards even, and will even let you design and insert your own your own unique deck. So I very much doubt I would ever run this straight. However, um, it's chock full of ideas, and um, we we're, we have a shortage of ideas this week, do we? It doesn't have to be, you know, the Confederacy are just these guys. Uh, yeah, you you, you, could, know. you you could have it as a a pulp nineteen twenties with other villains. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a throw in everything, but there, there is a sense of fun in there, which I think is worth maintaining. Uh, so this bundle comes uh, with well the rules, um, some maps, uh, some stand up figures, the uh, the Savage Worlds core cool rules as well. So. Yeah, I I, da- I downloaded it for the for the maps and the and the and the standees. So um, on the on the whole, I I I too, I'm not that keen. I think I think I'd probably want to, if I wanted to do a supernatural uh, noir story, I would find my own background. Though New Orleans is a is a fascinating city, city and. Um, Lots of interesting and um, and atmospheric stories can be set there. Yeah, I think if I were running this, I, I would probably steal the setting, uh, that 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 bit of the setting, and and completely separate it from the deadlandsiness of it. Mm. But yeah, anyway, it, it's there. Uh, it's a, it's a decent deal as bundle of holding tends to be, and it's running until eighth of November. Okay, onwards. Roger has had an event. Roger has achieved something. Roger has achieved something glorious. I think, I think, can we insert some fanfares? Maybe, maybe. Right. We, we, yeah, I I actually got to the end of a campaign and it was an ending, not just a, oh hell, we have to stop now. Uh, How long, how long had this been going on? Yeah, uh, first session, I believe, was in late 2007. 
So four years before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. you be and uh, how how often were you playing? Typically once a month. Uh, I don't have an exact count, but I think it was about 148 sessions altogether. Yeah, and yeah, this my my typical length for a campaign is about 12-ish sessions. Hmm. Having having looked back at some of the stuff I've run. After that point, I start scraping the barrel a bit and feeling that it's work to keep it running. So what what was the difference? Oh, look, look, hang on. That, in, in case there are people out there who have never <laughs> listened to us before, um, let's tell them about this. Is This is your weird war, World War Two game. Yeah. Uh, so Called Responsible But Right. Irresponsible, irresponsible and Right. It's, it's a Winston Churchill quote from actually a few years after the war. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this started because of of a sale, because Roger is a cheapskate. Uh, where, where so GURPS fourth edition came out in about two thousand and four. Yeah, and once that had yeah got it got its feet, and there were a few books out for it. Uh, Warehouse twenty three, the Steve Jackson games uh, at yeah. that point physical store, but it's it's now electronic as well. Uh, suffering from lack of warehouse space and presumably also inventory taxes, uh, started selling off hard copies of GURPS 3rd edition books. Um, Goodness, yeah. Significantly below original price. And in those days, shipping was relatively cheap, and they would still label them as books, so you didn't have to pay VAT on them. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually play all that much GURPS 3rd. I got, I got into it really quite late in its life. Uh, so while I had a few books, I didn't have anything like a full collection. As, and th- this is where I filled up most of it. Um, so in 2006, for example, I picked up all the transhuman space books. Yeah. And I ran a transhuman space campaign, and it lasted, indeed, about 12, 13 sessions. <laughs> <laughs> and in 2007, I picked up GURPS World War Two. Yeah. Which, like transhuman space, was built with the core book as a standalone RPG with, with GURPS Lite um, bound into the back of it. Mm-hmm. Or a slightly optimised version of GURPS Lite for that setting. Um, but in both cases, it was quite easy to run them with what you might call full GURPS. Yeah, it, were, it was an encouragement to do so. And indeed, it was not particularly hard to run it in GURPS 4th edition rather than 3rd edition that it was written for. Uh, GURPS High Tech was out by that point, so if we want stats for guns, we got them. If we want stats for tanks, we don't got them, but, you know, it's not that hard and it, this isn't... It wasn't... Well... It wasn't going to be a game about tanks anyway. Um, Hang I, on. Let me let me ask. Uh, you, did you take inspiration from the main World War Two series, which includes uh, a what a, a book about the British, or was did did, did this bounce off uh, Weird War Two? Both. Um, okay. I, I I had all the books in one lump, so they were all available. So that was easy. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to run a World War Two game. Okay, and, let's let's and, stop stop there. Okay. Why? Well, I, I had these books. I wanted to use them. Oh right, right. <laughs> Go on. Um, nothing, de- nothing deep then. All right. No well, we'll we'll, we'll we'll come back to my attitude to the period. I think. Okay. Uh, actually, well, well, what the hell? Let's talk about that uh, now. Um, right. Go on. I I am of combination of age and culture which has always had a slightly weird relationship with World War II. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, there, there were the World War II comics still being published. Yep. 
But Captain Hurricane. I remember doing very bad things to my psyche when I was a kid. But I didn't know anybody who read them. You know, one would see them very occasionally in a shop, but nobody actually, nobody one knew actually bought them. And are you talking about the American um, import? I think I think they would probably have been British ones, given that I wasn't going to specialist comics shops. Okay, go on. Um, I don't know, Warrior Battle. Do those names make any sense? Oh, those, yeah, those are British. Um, and the the what what I saw of them was I, somebody else described it as um, so. So the the main phrases of German I know were "I Achtung Spitfire" and "For you, Tommy, the war is over." So, <laughs> um, and the hoch, and the hoch. Yeah. So. The other thing was, it seemed like the thing one had just missed, but it was actually the thing one's parents had just missed. Again, yeah, well, my, again, in the age and culture that I was. Yeah, well, my, my age was, or was my parents were in it. My mother was a wren through most of the, the war, and my father was in the artillery uh, at the en- end of it, but as he put it, once Gunnacule passed uh, basic training, the Japanese surrendered. Hey. So that's the thing. Um, my parents were too young, and the parents of people I knew were too young. Yeah. And their parents were on the old side, and it just hit that generational gap that, that anybody who had done stuff didn't want to talk about it, which was quite a common attitude as well. So the people I knew and the people who were generating the culture that I was being exposed to... Mm-hmm. I think regarded it as, oh, well, this is that boring thing that Dad used to go on about and didn't talk about it much. So I, I basically had very little exposure to it. Hmm. Uh, it just wasn't a thing that people regarded as interesting. How very odd. Uh, very and, interesting, but odd. And I don't have any particular personal family connection. I, d- I don't know what my grandparents did, but um, I don't believe they ever went overseas. I assume they did something because everybody did something, but yeah, yeah. Um, also medics, so, you know. Yeah. And so I, I was starting from an essentially uninformed pop culture viewpoint, and one of the reasons, in fact, that I, that I got the GURPS World War II books, other than a general sense of completism, which should not be underestimated, is... The the first chapter of the core GURPS World War II book gives you a really very good high level overview of the course of the war. Hmm. You never you never watched the war movies. I mean, there no. Were again, again, that 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 was boring old stuff. Golly, what what you I developed, have I developed a taste for them later, but. Yeah, I mean, if if uh, let, let's cross promote here uh, the the uh, film podcast Ribbon of Memes, uh, of, of which I am part. Um, I, I'm certainly enthusing a lot about boring old stuff there, some some of which is war related. But yeah, yeah I think, well, you're starting in '71, aren't you? And and that's that's well, sort of by, by coincidence, the, but yeah, that's sort of missing the peak of of war story. I th- I think I think you get a bit of a lull, but though it never quite goes away. Well, yeah, in the in the fifties and sixties, you get the war films that are made with the people who were there available to act as technical consultants. Yeah, and then there's a gap, and then there's this thing we heard about from our parents. But yeah, so basically, I I, I had a a sort of blank relationship. I mean, many of my players have some degree of family history. Yeah. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I just have no idea what, what if anything, 
uh, people related to me may have done, and probably not very much. So, I yeah. So basically, I'm taking this on very much as an outsider, and that so what- that, that that was part of the part of the appeal. It, it's, it's clearly this hugely complicated thing which I know very little about. As a result of that, I wanted to range fairly widely. So you wanted the it to be the whole the war the whole war. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I mean, the the classic military campaign is you know you you are the people in this unit, uh, the fighter pilots, the infantry company, mm-hmm. however you want to do it. Um, but that seemed to me, I mean, there there are a couple of interesting units that bounced about all over the place, but broadly that tends to be you are stuck in a particular theatre of war. And you and you are fighting, and yeah, and you are following orders. You are fighting. Um... You're, fight, uh, you're fighting the way that the general wants, mostly. Yeah, and and you are you are following um, priorities and targets that uh, somebody else has set. And so from there, that that said, okay, this is going to be some sort of espionage related yeah. game. And then I started looking at Gup's World War Two, mm. and that seemed to me to have pretty much an ideal setting. If somewhat tweaked, um, so th- this is largely well, it, it's a multi-author book, but the chapter in question is the dangerous element, and that that is Ken Hyde. Yeah, and which I, is about this is essentially magic in the war, mm-hmm. uh, with a particular emphasis because he's Ken uh, on the on the American side of it, but he does mention the possibility of MI five Bureau five B under Maxwell Knight, mm-hmm. and that was something I wanted to go for. Because uh, Maxwell Knight is is a weird and fascinating character. Tell us about the real Maxwell Knight. Um, <laughs> how long have I got? Ah, all right, okay, just hit um, the high spots. Yes, yeah, so, well, he he was certainly the inspiration for M. Yeah. Um, he was. Briefly in the navy during the First World War and demobilised at the end of it, um, he got got into uh, well, he he got into one of the first of the fascist movements, the British Fascisti in nineteen twenty four, um, because he was asked to by a friend who happened to be running agents in MI five at the time. Uh, he he asserted firmly and repeatedly that this was only be- because he was being asked to gather intelligence on the fascists and not at all because he was um that way inclined yeah. yeah um he ran fascists as agents within the communist party of great britain again Bloody purely hell. on the basis of mi5 <laughs> 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 um he was one of the very few spies at this point, well, particularly the British intelligence establishment, who were prepared to recruit and use women as agents. Mm-hmm. Um, he liked women a lot. Uh, what sort of end did he come to in the real world? Um, well, yeah, he had a fairly good war, all things considered. And then, then after the war, he went on to a broadcasting career. Um Hosting programs such as Naturalist and Country Questions, uh, he 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 kept pet animals. He he liked animals a lot. He, he, well, okay, he kept a menagerie. He couldn't keep domestic staff because they got offended by the menagerie. Uh, yeah, 
People still claim that he was homosexual. There is no real evidence either way. Um, he, yeah, he, he retired from the security service in 61 and he continued to broadcast um, and then, then died in 68. And frankly, well, a very strange chap. Yes. He, even, even for a British spy, that is a very strange chap. He, he did also write a couple of detective novels, though I haven't read them. Did he have occult connections? Um, yes, he was obsessed with the occult. Um, how much he actually did about it, he doesn't seem to have been the sort of person who, who got into groups of ritualists, um, as, as many occultists of the period yeah. did. Uh, but he, he certainly found it fascinating and kept an extensive library. So he's, he's certainly a plausible person for, if magic is real, he might know something about it. And uh, uh, and that was a sort of the, a section under under him, run by him. Was... So um, the 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 actual, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so um, basically, what what MI five was actually doing during the war, for the most part, or his, his bit of it, um, was putting people into into the communist party. All right. And what what one of his agents, Olga Gray, was in fact offered off was. Um, Directly involved with the leadership of the Communist Party, um, and yeah, so he, 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 he did he did a bit of everything. Yeah, I, I think that's that that's fairly clear. Did uh, so? We're going to come back to you using uh, historical figures mm. again in this. But but that that's the lot. bit I got from Ken Height. Yeah, you know, here here is this Bridget, uh, British magical occult secret service to use a term yeah. that John Delman coined a few years later. Um, and okay, so what are they going to be doing? Um, Height mostly talks about uh, great uh, think things like the um, the cone of power working, yeah, and stuff like that. The the big you know re- repel the German magical. Boost to the invasion. Yeah, that that was um, that was that was a real thing, and lots of witches, um, witch wicker, um, claimed that uh, it was this working that turned back the threat of invasion in uh, the early part of the war. Yeah, um, this is um, Gerald Gardner in the New Forest Coven claimed a whole mm. bunch of things with a total lack of evidence. But you know Gerald Gardner, so okay. Um, so there is going to be magic, but it is going to be is at that point it's going to be magic. It's going to be hidden magic, at least to start with. Okay, now let me pause here for a moment before I ask you how you set up the world because that that's interesting. Let's ask you about the group you were writing it for. Uh, the, the players. A, the players. Yeah. Okay, so th- these were the both people- individually and as as a as a, a, a community. So the, these were basically the same people I had been running the transhuman space game for. Yeah. Um, this includes um, Karen Gillam, now, now sadly no longer with us. Um, John Dalman who knows everything to a first approximation. <laughs> uh, Phil Masters, who, who only knows most of everything. 
Um, that I, I don't mean to uh, say the others weren't relevant, but but those are names that that our listeners might be familiar with, particularly Phil Masters. Yeah, uh, I I am very fortunate. All all the players got involved, and I think this is one of the big reasons for the longevity of the campaign. They were always suggesting things and saying, "Wouldn't it be mm. nice if we if we dealt with that at some point?" And they were finding things out ahead of you. Yeah, and well, and digging. Well, possibly come back to this, but I deliberately kept things recognisably real-world history so yeah. that those huge free research sources that are out there could be readily used. Okay, well, all right. This is a, this is a design point I wanted to come to. Uh, you You set this up from the first, I think, or from very nearly the first, as already an alternate history, something had happened in the past, before the 1930s, that had um, that had caused some change in the universe, and that something seems to have been a, a message from the future. Yes, I, I'm just wondering why you included that element, and whether it was there from the start. That was not there from the start. <laughs> so why the- did it get put in? Basically, because there there came a point where the you know, the players were doing a very good job of isolating their knowledge of the historical course of the war from what their characters would know at this point, but it occurred to me that there was a way of fixing that a little bit. Um, specifically, what they got and the, the the primary purpose of this was that they they got a message from the future of. I think this was about 1940 or 41. Yeah. From about 30 years in the future. Which had originally, in fact, been intended to arrive before the First World War. Ooh. Um, but included a history of essentially our First World War, interwar period, Second World War, and a bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. Because. Um, the, the the people who sent this were essentially the last surviving magicians in, uh, I think it was about 1970. And the magicians this, this, were running short because? Uh, this, is, this is where I got what I think may, may be the key element of the campaign, the destructive interaction between nuclear transitions and magic. Uh-huh. So... There, there, I, I have a complicated model involving activation energies, but basically a magician or a magical effect put in the same place as something that is undergoing nuclear transitions will either suppress those transitions or be worn down by the attempt to make those transitions happen, or both. So it's, it's, so say, say you have a magician who is next to a tritium watch. The yeah. watch will stop glowing. The magician will feel unwell. Eventually, the magician will die of it, and the watch will start glowing again. But that will take quite a long time. The, uh, so, given given that there are natural nuclear transitions happening, um, you don't need um, at, at, at at quite a low level. When you start concentrating yeah. them, they cause problems. Okay, so so a, a pile of uranium ore might cause a, a slight headache. Uh, a pile of concentrated uranium or worse plutonium would not be good for anybody. Yeah, they they first discovered this on a visit to the Rutherford Labs. Aha, uh-huh. that's where where various experiments were historically taking place. 
that sort of seems to indicate that uh, their efforts are going to have to replace uh, the Manhattan Project. Well, it, it, the, the things started diverging from there. Okay. Um, I I'm suppose like, this, this is sort of meta, meta GM thing. Um, in giving the players the document, which was in essence the first chapter of GURPS World War Two, um, which obviously they were already familiar with, but that was a good reference for this is yeah. how much detail you actually get, which is not as much as you would really like. Um, but basically, the, the the people who wrote this and sent it um, were magicians who had just barely survived. Uh, nuclear bomb detonations, nuclear testing, nuclear power. Yeah. And thought that bad things were happening to the structure of the world, which we can come back to, and therefore essentially consumed themselves and quite possibly the world they were in as well. But, you know, I mean, magicians, they, they don't tend to worry too much about ethics, uh, to send this message in theory... <laughs> In, in in basic principle, back to before World War One, yeah, so that the British could avoid getting destroyed by that the way the rest of Europe was, and come out in a, in a stronger position and basically take control of this stuff with advanced knowledge and economic supremacy. That was their rah, plan. Rah. Didn't work out. It didn't happen that way because it didn't go far enough. It, it, it arrived uh, sometime in about 1940. Okay, so after <laughs> that, you're, you you kept maintained as long as you could the uh, you you didn't have the the step on the butterfly change the world thing, um, but you did have change. There is uh, this this will come out. Uh, this episode will come out after the final session, which is going to be happening this coming Sunday from time of recording, this coming Saturday, where, when I will reveal this to the players. Uh, but the certainly in my mind, there was at least one other copy of this document that the Germans had got hold of. And it did them no good. It did them some good. Um, they, 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 once they had worked out that this is what, what at least some of the British magical establishment were expecting to happen. Mm. They were able to play up and subvert it. Okay. You know, we we know they they will be expecting us to do this, therefore we will make it look like this, and it's a trap. Um, there was also another one, but we can talk about that later. So, all right. So, uh, when did it become clear to you that you weren't going to be stuck? Uh, you weren't but going to be winding up after after twelve or thirteen sessions. Um, I think when we probably when we when we were twelve or thirteen sessions in, and it was still early nineteen forty, as I guess. Okay, <laughs> I I had intended to bring in a whole bunch of war film cliches at various points, and I mostly did. But there was clearly a whole lot of other stuff happening, and we didn't have to rush forwards. Okay. Right. What sort of things were that were there? You're in a world where you do what? You you are among the very few people who a know that magic works and b have some capability of doing it. What sort of model of magic did you use? Uh, I think Gerp's thaumatology was just out at this point, or if it wasn't, it was being written by Phil. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, convenient that. Uh, so or maybe not. The the guiding principle was w whatever you think will work for you. Uh, we, we started with, um, uh, starting at, at uh, low mana, so minus five to spellcasting rolls. Mm. Um, 
I had one character went for traditional GURPS spell magic. Uh, he also went for a, uh, I think we modeled it as fatally ill that he was, his character, that character was going to die in the first session. Uh, the, the player agreed, uh, it was the player's idea, to be fair. Right. Um, <laughs> he, he was what? therefore the first person to be recorded on the books as missing presumed damned. <laughs> That's a little unkind, but it does tie in with your assumptions about the ethics of magic users. Uh, so there was that. Um, Phil went for uh, Path and Book Magic mm-hmm. uh, in, in a fairly academic style. And this is the origin of a lot of those jokes about the magician with his fishing tackle box full of little bits of various substances that he uses to get the appropriate decanic resonances. Yeah. Um. And we, I think we mostly ended up um, on Magicka's powers. In other words, you, you build it as a GURPS power that has particular effects rather than as a general purpose you can cast spells thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, for the NPCs, I generally treated them the same way. They would have one or two specific talents that they, that they had typically just discovered uh, as the level of available magic in the world rose. Mm. Um rather than a, a full-on spell casting system. Yeah, um, I, that's that's what's currently called GURPS Sorcery, yes? Uh, no, GURPS Sorcery is modelling the original GURPS spell system as powers. This is just magic as powers. Okay. Without, well, without powers, any, without any particular connection yeah. to the uh, spell casting system, just here is a power, and it is magical. In other words, it is vulnerable to low mana. Uh, you, you, can, you can dispel it with anti-magic. All that kind of thing. I, I did the. Did you change the mana level? You, you said it, it was lower mana. At it the it, start. it gradually rose from minus five to zero over the course of the campaign. Because, um, in essence, certain anti-magical things ceased to exist. For example, Stalin. You know that's terribly flattering to his memory. Um. <laughs> There, there were there were some other things as well, the eruption of Vesuvius, for example. But basically, we with people working towards making magic possible, um, became more possible it, deliberately or otherwise. It yeah. it, 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 it it gradually rose. Uh, okay, uh, did people develop new powers? Could they choose to develop new powers um, by? I don't know, learning or ritual or what? Yes. Um, I, I Well, for a start, in, in pure game mechanical terms, uh, this is 140-plus sessions of game. I was typically handing out three points per character, so, so they got a few uh, yeah, points by the end. Uh, yes, considerable, yes. Um, the... And there, there needed to be some sort of in-game justification, particularly for a new power. Hmm. Um, but there were sources of magical learning available, which could at, at least point one in that direction. What, yeah. what quite a few people did uh, was start off by pi- buying a very restricted version of the power and then gradually upgrade it by, by removing the limitations and, and adding um, enhancing modifiers. Yeah, I've done that myself with psychic powers. Yeah, it, that start them out very low and slowly become godlike. And for, for that, I was, I was prepared to say this is something you could learn on your own account just by having used the power a bit rather than you need to go out and 
find a book for it. Okay, so that that's the, the, the special abilities that they had. What sort of things was Her Majesty's government his I beg his I beg his late pardon, his Majesty's government asking them to do? Um Well there, there is a, a very extensive campaign log. <laughs> okay, then give us the executive summary. Yeah. Uh, so um let's see. First adventure. Um, it is October 1939. War has been declared. Mm. Uh, but nothing is actually much happening yet. And the second in command of HMS Royal Oak, which has just got back into port, is saying, this ship is haunted. You ch- you chaps do strange stuff. You're, you're on the square. Um, oh, God. So, you, you, so, so send, send your... Team who does strange stuff and see what we can find. So, so the second it's in command. Not what you know, it's who you know. The second in command is is aware that um, there is weird stuff that, but they have cover as a uh, civilian engineering team because one of the main things is that there's been a much higher rate than expected of boiler tube failures. Okay, I, okay. So, th- so they go there and they. Talk to, you know, look at the ship's records and see what's been going on, and to do various magic detection workings. And nothing is immediately obvious, uh, but yeah, they 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 poke about a bit and and gradually um, start to work out what might be going on, which is which is a quite low intensity uh, magic that that occasionally light, lines up and actually does something. Um, and. This is October 1939, HMS Royal Oak. She is going to be sunk, because she was sunk by a U-boat historically. There, there weren't as many tentacles in the historical record. All right, so that that's an early mission. Yeah, and then, so, yeah, mission two. Um, there's, there's something weird going on in Finland. Go and have a look. Yeah, that's... Uh... All right, the, but at some stage I get the impression that your player characters, if only from pure point count, start to be become amongst the movers and shakers and start to affect yeah. world events. Well, apart from anything else, this is GURPS. Um, one of the things you can spend points on is not just blatting the enemy, but reputation and rank and ally group high command, <laughs> things of that sort. Sorry, patron, patron high command. Patron high command. I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you can just call up the high command and say, "Yeah, Freddie, could you possibly do us a favour?" Well, you can a bit, but but it, but there's definitely a, a flow of authority in that relationship. Yeah, uh, and and everybody is quite clear in which direction where it's flowing. So, yeah, the the early adventures, uh, there was a bit of going overseas and looking into stuff, and there was there was quite a lot of dealing with. Um, well, originally Soviet and and later German agents in the UK. Right. Uh, generally, I, I would try to keep some sort of historical parallel. Uh, so, for example, there, there there was a magical homing device which ended up working a lot like the um, German radio navigation systems for mm. bombers. That kind of thing. Yeah. If you know what's going on, you recognise it. In essence. Uh. Um, without being slavishly attached to the original version. 
So yes, it's a magical navigation system, but the way it works is is uh, somebody a, a RAF officer got an enchantment put on him when he was visiting um, Germany many years ago. Hmm. That's that's, right. that's very foresighted of the Germans, I must say. Um, well, uh, I, I, I believe sadly I've now lost the bit of paper, but I, I did. Uh, yeah, this this was quite a key thing. There was never going to be just one German occult enemy. Um, right. there, there were at various points at least three or four, um, and none of them talking to each other. Well, yeah, because this is the classic model of how the Nazis did things. It was all about forcing internal competition mm-hmm. to try to get people to excel, and you know they were all scrabbling for resources and playing politics and all that sort of thing. And this is exactly what you get in essentially every other field of the Nazi um, political, econ- economic, governmental system. I would like some of our political masters to note this failed. Yeah, well, a, a comment more recently, you know, what, what what is your biggest objection to Hitler? You know, one, the whole aggressive war, genocide, that sort of thing. Two, two foreign. Three, well, he lost, didn't he? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, th- this comes back to a thing you said earlier, which is obviously there are going to be a lot of real people here. Yeah. Um, Maxwell Knight, I tried to... Basically, well, everybody, really. Uh, I tried to run as, here is the historical person about whom I can find out quite a lot. How w- I build enough of a mental model of them that I can see, or at least try to guess, how they would react if they suddenly became aware that there is actual working magical power out there and we have some people who can do it. Yeah. Stalin would not react well. But then he never did. Ah, well, the, the Soviets had the Stolotov machine, which 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 was a proper Soviet system of of psychic power, and not not in any way magical. Aha! Yes, true proletariat, true proletariat, oogly boogly. Who did you have? Which of the historical personages did you have most fun with? Hmm. Um. Probably, I I, I have an NPC list. Uh, Nicholas Kemmer. Who was? Uh, historically, one of the uh, Rutherford Lab scientists work, yeah. working on the early nuclear stuff. Um, but the party ran into him, and in discussion with him, and you know, he had a Russian grandmother who told him stories when he was little, this is true. Yeah. Um, he essentially became their scientific magical consultant. Right. Uh Assisted, well, it's it's there, there would be some argument about which way the assistance went by Niels Bohr when they when they grabbed him from Denmark later. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that that was very useful when they had to stop Einstein doing the Philadelphia experiment because that could, could be quite bad. Mm. Time travel is never good for the universe. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing, I'm willing to go go along with that. Um... As a basic, as a basic hypothesis, though, though I did uh, consult someone who was running his own World War Two campaign, was not actually a player at this point, though he joined this one later, mm. um, to say, right, well, if if you do send, manage to send a submarine forward to the nineteen fifties to to a U.S. naval base, or sorry, a destroyer, I think it would be, yeah. uh, what can they send back that will actually, um, what will they think sending back will will help? From the 1950s. Um, There's a good chance of a cruise missile submarine. Oh, hang on. The, 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 the regular boats. 
Really? That early on? I think I can't remember the exact date now. And there's a lot of this stuff. Uh, uh, you could you could certainly send back um, early uh, computers uh, useful enough, and uh, to make a difference. And yeah, I mean, you you have to stuff the thing full of knowledge rather than guns. Every, anybody can work that out. Yeah, but there's the question of just just what and how and, and what effects it might have, and that 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 was fortunately, I think, forestalled by the characters. Okay, uh, eventually. Um, you came to the point where things had uh, your your characters' actions and things had to change in the uh, in 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 the game world, deviating from uh, from what we uh, uh, commonly call reality, or at least recorded history. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Recorded history, which may or may not have some relationship with reality. Um, what was the thing that first made a noticeable difference? Uh, I think probably um, HMS Hood. Yeah. Uh, Historically, Hood sunk by the Bismarck in the North Sea. Um, Thanks to player character intervention and magical weirdness, Hood not sunk by the Bismarck in the North Sea. Yeah. Um, This is is where the campaign really started growing branches, because I went off sideways from there to say, all right, had Hood not been sunk at that point, what was the historical next deployment she would be, would have been going on? And the answer is Far East Station. Mm-hmm. So would in fact have been with Prince of Wales and Repulse uh, when they were attacked by uh, the Japanese Navy and and sunk and heavily damaged and so on. Yeah. So then I went right. Well, let, let's war game this. <laughs> I don't think Hood is going to make a huge difference, but we but, also have, we also have a different commander uh, who yeah. thinks in a different way, and so on. So I, I did various things, and the the main change from that, in fact, was that the Japanese invasion force and escorts surface force yeah. found the ship found the British force first, mm-hmm. uh, and they they exchanged fire and did quite a lot of damage. Uh, and th- and c- then called in the aircraft. So by the time the aircraft got there, and did indeed sink or heavily damage all the ships, um, they were already damaged ships. This then feeds into American High Command, because before historically, before this point, everybody had assumed that carrier-based aircraft aren't really serious. I mean, you don't have big bombers and stuff. They, yeah. they, they can't really do that much damage to, to a surface force. Historically, after... Uh, sinking of Prince of Wales and Repulse, um, everybody said, oh crap, the, these were two you know, ships in tip-top condition with air defence guns and all the latest stuff, and they still got sunk. We've got to take this seriously. Carriers are important. Yeah. And in this setting, they didn't, because when the planes arrived, they, they found an already damaged flotilla. And everybody knows, well, obviously, if they find an already damaged flotilla, they can finish it off. Everybody knows they can do that. So that particular lesson did not get learned until some years later, and that affected American early war tactics. Well, hang on. What was the date here? Was this uh, post uh, Pearl Harbor or pre? Just, just barely post. So yeah, but, but in which case the Americans should have noticed that they were lacking some some aircraft carriers of their own. Well, no, that's the that was the thing. Oh, no, no, the, some the, battleships the, of their own. 
Yeah, it was the battleships that got sunk, uh, in part through coincidence. They weren't particularly a Japanese higher-priority target, but they were the ones that happened to be in port when the attack came. Uh, And indeed, historically, a lot of the American early war tactics are predicated on, we have a load of carriers, we don't have a load of battleships. We've got to fight, we've got to make do with what what we have. Yeah. And in this, it was much more, well, yeah, okay, we got carriers, but we know that Everybody knows that carriers aren't really effective without battleship support. Uh, so in in the early American war, you know, late 41, early 42, they were much more inclined to send, send out carriers with battleship escort. Thus slowing down the whole... Um, Fewer forces, therefore, because yeah. they didn't have enough battleships. And yeah, it, it took time for that to recover. There was also some Japanese magical weirdness that uh, didn't help matters. So... Yeah, Japan, but but Japan. At, at that point, to to jump back to where we started from, that that was okay. This is clearly an alternate. It's not just, it's not just going to snap back into place. Yeah, there there was some degree of historical inertia and attempt to get back into place because at a meta game level, as I say I I don't want too much divergence because I want the research still to be useful. You you can easily justify that with with. Uh... Uh, temporal physics bullshit. Um, yeah, but at the same... Well, this is another thing. Um, I th- and I think this applies to running any game in a historical setting. Yeah. Um, it's nice if the PCs can make a difference. And you can, do that, you can do that in multiple ways. You can say, you're making a difference on this very small scale that doesn't get into the history everybody knows. Yeah. Which is fine. But vitally important. Yeah. Well, vitally important to your lives, apart from anything else. Yeah. And and, uh, and you can say, uh, here's an alternate which would be worse, and thanks to your heroic efforts, the historical version happens. Yeah. Or you can abandon historicity, and that, that, that last is what I ended up doing. Some of the changes um, have got a little um, baroque. The, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, what happened to Russia? Uh, well, broadly speaking, Rasputin happened. Rah, rah. Yes, uh, very much so. Um, so this this gradually became apparent o- over some time to the players. The, their first encounter with, with the situation was that this guy Morozov, who, who's on Beria's staff and is talking to the British Embassy, so naturally we don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted... Um, the help of the British in getting hold of a certain uh, artifact from the Romanov treasury, obviously now controlled by yeah. the Russian state, Soviet state, I should say. Um, and the the party ne- ne- never actually met him in person at this point, uh, which they were quite glad of later, but but did did some uh, magical scanning and were able to confirm yes that that really is there in this particular vault. I don't think they actually took it themselves, um, but they were able to say, yeah, it's definitely here. And then they they got on with the other things they were doing, thought a little more of it. Um, Then, a couple of years later in 44, um, Rokosovsky is is, um, invading Poland, Nazi-held Poland. Mm. With, with with the first Belarusian front, and historically, as the the players and their characters are aware, 
uh, Rokosowski basically held back from assisting the, the Polish partisans and home army until basically they and the Nazis had fought each other pretty much to exhaustion and in, in most cases death and then moved in and killed the Nazis who were left. Yeah. So that, you know, conv- convenient communist government in Poland because those are the only people surviving. So what he did in this case uh, was send, send the forces in immediately, uh, starting, starting with the fast-moving units that could get there straight away and then you know, all available ground troops, heavy air support, helping the Polish home army. Who would be so grateful. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, all right, nobody nobody wanted nobody liked dealing with the Russian army because they were horrible, but it was a lot better than being being murdered by the Nazis, particularly since they got uh, not particularly murdery. I was just I was just being being um uh, cynical about uh, about chances of the Polish being permanently grateful to the Russians, that's all. Oh, no. General Sikorsky is still alive. Yeah. Which is both good and bad for Poland. He's not a very compromising sort of chap, but he he is a bit more pragmatic than the people who replaced him. Um, that's because of other events. <laughs> but anyway, that was, of course, completely unrelated. Mm, nothing to do. Uh, so uh, St- Stalin obviously calls Rokosovsky back to Moscow for... for not not doing what he was told. Rokosovsky sends to Stalin, no, I have a battle to fight. Clearly something is going very wrong here. Yeah. And then the, the um, team spots a photograph of, of him at a press conference, and one of his staff officers looks looks like this guy Morozov. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. Um, they're, they're not directly involved in this process. Um but uh, a month or so later, Stalin steps down entirely off his, his own volition. To an honoured retirement, which will last a certain period of time. Uh, and he, he, he admits the blame for Katyn, which most people don't know about at this point. Yo. Um, oh, no, th- this guy Morozov seems to be in charge, but you know. There's still a war to be fought. Like, let's not worry about things like that. Uh, and then, yeah, a, a bit later, Stalin chooses to take his own life. I'm sure it's very sad. Uh, in, in repentance for the crimes done to the Soviet peoples. Now, this, hang on, Roger. This seems to me to be you deciding what the hell. And uh, uh, well, th- this is Morozov who. Essentially, has quite similar powers to one of the player characters of oh. being supernaturally persuasive. Yeah, but you have decided at some point or other that it's going to be fun to uh, twist Russian history. Yes. Into okay, even though the the player characters only had a sort of tangential yeah influence. Okay, fine. I thought it would be interesting. I wanted to see what would happen. You see, um, yeah, Morozov believes he, he, is, he is the true heir of the Tsars. Is he? Okay, I can say now. Yes. Right. Um, but and, and there was, there was I, this is not a thing that's been publicly announced even by the end of the war. Um, yes, he is indeed the son of the Tsarevich, but nobody asked for a very long time who his mother might be. Who is his mother, Roger? Rasputin's daughter. Oh, I see. Ra, ra. 
Okay. And, um, yeah, so Rasputin's plan, mm. to be fair, largely made after he was dead, um, <laughs> wa- wa- was to produce this guy, ra- raise him to power with, with, with magical abilities, and then possess him. Didn't work out for Rasputin. No, though there, there was a certain amount of fighting, um, both spiritual and physical. And, and, and Morozov turned out to be just a little bit more competent, not to mention having competent friends, than had been expected. Okay, in that case, uh, a, a tangential thing comes to my mind. Uh, you mentioned uh, Rasputin doing his planning uh, no longer in a physical form. Did you ever have to touch on uh, transcendental, metaphysical, religious matters? Yes, uh, one of the... Uh, Karen, in fact, pl- wanted to play a medium, spiritualist. So while I hadn't particularly considered this during the setup, I needed to know in some detail what the spirit world was like, uh, both in terms of spirits of dead people and um, elemental spirits and things like that. Uh, some, some of which I fear the cracks may have shown because I had to paste it together in a hurry, but I think it got reasonably consistent by the end. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, uh, but I, I, I have on my occasion, I have on occasion myself said, well, I've always said this, haven't I? And defied <laughs> the players to notice any difference. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, this is a friendly, not an adversarial player group. Okay. So that that helps a lot. Um, yeah, they're not going to say, "Hey, this is rubbish." You you said the other thing seventeen years ago. We we're, we're walking out now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, mine, mine, they never walked out, but they do delight in pointing out. Things that I've entirely forgotten I had said mm-hmm. uh, when it becomes obvious. Uh, the uh, the other right. thing is Morozov has has the third copy of the, of the Night Fuller uh, document, the history of the future, and he didn't like the way Russia was going, so he decided he was going to make it different. That seems perfectly reasonable. Yes, com- completely reforming the the, the uh, culture of uh, the Soviet republics is. Absolutely a thing you can do if you're a towering egotist who can persuade anybody of anything. Yeah. I'm not going to ask what superpowers <laughs> Starman had. Um, the, so uh, so the, the, as the Soviet armies advanced across Europe, they, there were all these weird things happening, like um, ooh, Bulgarian communists were, were expecting the, the Soviets to set them up in power. No, the Soviets are saying, Let, let's have government national unity, which is basically going to be everybody except the Nazis. And yeah, you you can run for election in that same same as any other party can, and and various other unexpected things that basically there is not going Very to be young. an iron curtain. Okay, the uh, given that the uh, that the players, if if that summary of the war is are Brit, given that the, their characters are British, and that summary of the war must indicate the slightly reduced position of the UK, at the end of the the war, did they feel they should do anything about it? Um, in a relatively minor way. Um, they t- Tizard didn't go quite the same way. Um, Tizard mission that handed over the cavity magnetron, among other things, yeah. uh, didn't hand over quite as much, in part because they had just found in, in an ancient Egyptian underwater temple it wasn't underwater when it was a temple, obviously. Um, yeah. Something that looked remarkably like a model of a cavity magnetron. And maybe this is more important than we think it is. Time travel bug- is a bugger, isn't 
<sighs> so, so while the I mean economics will out, yeah, the empire is not sustainable. Um, but there isn't quite the absolute American dominance. Mm-hmm. It, it's probably going to go more, more or less the same way. Um, a, a, a quick uh, a couple of paragraphs summary of how America and Japan turned out. Uh, well, America had a different magical climate. Uh, in most places you have basically a mono level and you can use it to do spells or not. Um, what they had was essentially spirits running rampant and anybody with any whisper of magical ability gets, well, whispered to. There's constant uh, barrage of suggestions that if, if you just give us a little bit of blood, we'll, we'll be really helpful and, and help you do this and that and, you, and it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be your blood. And uh, so generally a lot of magicians in America went mad. Or left. I can see that. Uh... Uh, that that got okay. This this was sort of the PC's fault, but it was an accident. Um, they were in Africa, and they were talking to a really quite powerful local spirit that had been causing a bit of trouble there. Yeah, well, well beyond their ability to bash, uh, even had they wanted to. And suggested that that, that there was this um, experiment coming up in Chicago that they you know, they really might might be might do bad things. This being the, the Chicago Pile One, yeah, with Fermi. Uh, and the next thing they knew, there was there was a tornado where Chicago used to be. Oh wow! This is a thing that they barely tell each other about. They are certainly never going to write it down or tell anybody else. They are the only people who know, and they would like to keep it that way because they like breathing. Yeah, I can see that. And Japan? Uh, Japan, well, yeah, we we explored this to some extent. Basically, it it was a similarly um, struggling system. We had um, army and navy, each with their own separate projects. Uh, yeah. the, the navy was generally more successful. They, they had a powerhouse on the Japanese mainland, uh, which was empowering. Uh, see, a an especially capable torpedo, which would essentially um, produce vast amounts of dissolved gas under a ship when it detonated, thus reducing the water density and letting the ship break its back. This is basically what an explosion does to a ship, mm-hmm. but. Um, Rather, rather more capably and more powerfully, uh, and the I couldn't resist Foo Fighters, which were ba- it basically rocket planes with an unreasonably long endurance, mm. operated off off the Japanese carriers, of course. And and uh, and they never got around to Kamikaze. Well, they did in the later days. That that was um, that that powerhouse was was destroyed, and so were some of the senior people there. Uh, by, by the player characters, and they they never really got that working again. They were working on various complicated um, atom bomb related things in in the latter days of the war. Um, given there were uh, given no Manhattan Project, um, um, how were how was how was Japan finally defeated? <laughs> well, yeah, this was a little unexpected. Uh, the our, our heroes had had worked out that 
you know, there is no historical nuclear weapon. We we could there there is a way of building nuclear weapons such that they don't uh, kill any magicians within a very long distance, uh, which, which the British are at this point aware of, and nobody else they think. Uh, but they would rather not do that because even even detonating one would would demonstrate that there is a way of doing this without it all going horribly wrong. See Chicago. See also that bit of Western Germany, uh, where where the German project tried and uh, Kurt Diebner retroactively ceased to exist. Uh, so you know we don't want to do that. We we have this weird situation. Li- libraries within Germany have no mention of this guy. Libraries outside them outside Germany do. I'm not sure the universe can sustain that for any length of time. Yeah, that 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 was also a concern. It turns out when you drain the model level low enough, you 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 stop you stop being able to have uh, particulate matter. Uh, that would be bad. That would be very bad. That would be very very bad. I'm made of particles. I like my particles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so so our, our heroes have having, in some cases, personally finished things off in Berlin. Yes, yeah. one of them does have the reputation man who shot Hitler. Um, <laughs> and he still has the gun he did it with. In, in case he ever needs to provide for his retirement, you know. Um, not that that will be a concern. But they, they um, go to Japan. Uh, they, they have magic homing um, seekers which can be attached to conventional bombs. And, and they, they go with it with a squadron of Lancasters in case that will do some good. Um, and they, they are poking around Okinawa, um, because there, there is magical stuff going on, but it doesn't seem to be organised at this point. It's, it's you know, we, we are up at Manda level zero by now. And random people are discovering, hey, I have a magical talent, and I'm a soldier on the front lines, I will use it to help fight. Yeah. Uh, th- this is more useful if it's making people's eyeballs melt than if it's making a perfect cup of tea, but, you know, you do what you can. Um, and, okay, we need to talk about Vin. Vin? <laughs> Vin Vincent Alexander is one of, one of the player characters, one, one of the originals. We had, we had a, quite a low death rate. Um, and he is a heroic fighter pilot. Yeah. He is also by this point engaged to the younger sister of the king. Who Yeah. Who, it's not entirely clear where she came from. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, if things can, if people can pop out of a universe, I don't see any reason why they can't pop in. The, this was actually a German ritualist effort to basically the the same um problem as Ribbentrop had. In the in the misunderstanding of how the British system of governance works, yeah, uh, Ribbentrop certainly believed, and a lot of other Germans believed as well, that if they could get the king to speak up for, you know, Germany isn't so bad, they're chaps like us, the 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 parliament, the government, the rest of the country would simply fall in line, because that that was the model they they had with the Kaiser or had had with the Kaiser, yeah. And so this this is why Ribbentrop concentrated his efforts on the royal family when he when he was in, in the yeah. UK. Um, so what what they were trying to do was was um, retro add a member of the royal family who would be profoundly sympathetic to Germany. And this didn't work. Well, it or... sort of worked, um, but it was an actual person. And 
our, our heroes heard about this person and thought, hang on a minute, I'm pretty sure I don't remember Princess X from yesterday, Princess Charlotte. Um, but she, you know, she's visiting a bomb site. Let's let's go and let's go and uh, see what's going on. Whether there's any weird magic to be detected or whatever. And Vin, the heroic fighter pilot, yeah, uh, d- decides to make make himself known. And she rolls a natural eighteen on her reaction to him, mm-hmm. and he rolls a critical sex appeal. Uh huh. And. At this point, they they feel that editing her back out of reality, while potentially necessary, is possibly not the obvious choice anymore. <laughs> um, so he already has a bit of a reputation, let us say. Yes. He's also the man who shot Hitler. Indeed. Uh, and so so we, we, we get to Okinawa, and he, he's um, talk, talking to a, a Japanese commander... Um, who's one of the survivors of, of the raid on headquarters that they've just made. And he he gets the idea that, well, you know, I, I am just a humble soldier of the emperor. Ah, well, I'd better, I'd better kill your emperor then. And he issues a challenge. Yes. And fortunately, the, the, we have a bit of a pause for, for, for end of session, start of next session. And, and I think, well, hang on a minute. Let, let us consider what we know of this man. And, all right, there, there was clearly a lot of um, lost information, um, conveniently lost because he was being left in power and mm-hmm. you, know, you don't want too much of the nasty stuff getting out. He, he certainly approved uh, the making of war, uh, the, the use of chemical weapons, various other things of this yeah. sort. However, he is not stupid. He can see that the war is lost and it's only a matter of time. Yeah. He does not have the control over his generals, o- over the, the death cult militarism that they have got themselves into, to tell them to stop. But yeah. if he fights a duel and loses then he, as the personification of Japan, has been defeated. And so obviously Japan would have to surrender at that point. That's magical thinking, if ever I heard it. So his contribution is to make sure there are three separate film crews there, at least one of whom will will get away from whatever murder squads the, the, the generals uh, have set up, to make sure this film gets out. Yeah. And he does indeed lose the fight. Uh, you know, he... History is going to go over that film frame by frame to say, uh, was, was he really honestly fighting as, fast, as hard as he could here or was he deliberately missing that parry? Um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Oh, is this a fight with, with swords? Yes. Uh, katanas? Uh, Vin, you see, before he was a fighter pilot, was an actor in Hollywood. Oh, my. He knows his way around a rapier. Okay, so rapiers are... Uh, not abated. Um, does the emperor die? No, but he but he takes a, a solid, honest wound, and so well. Yes, that that was the last session because, yeah, that's going to work. There is going to be mopping up to do, obviously, but fundamentally, Japan has surrendered, and the problems will be the holdouts rather than the entire Japanese system. Yeah, huh. which was not a way I expected things to to wind up, but you know. 
So you've got one more session, you say? Uh, well, no, that that was the last session of play. The what what we have is a sort of post mortem session because there are lots of things that I haven't laid out in full detail for the players that they want to know about. And I think there will be a certain amount of discussion of the likely future of the world as well. Yeah, something on the uh, um, I did something like that with um, what's it called microscope. I mean, there, there are all these dragons in Iceland, for example. Iceland. Well, they like it there. There are hot springs, but there's no gold that I know of. Uh, gold appears to sort of accrete wherever they lie down. Ah, gold is dragon shit. Every yeah, every right. dragon is a nuclear transmutation engine. Ah, couldn't they, do, couldn't they create something more useful? Or is it just gold? They, this this was discovered originally um, after the incident at Pegasus Bridge. Where, when the Germans managed to deploy a, a tactical dragon. He'd only recently woken up and he was a bit confused. Um, and part of the bridge that got breathed on was was a, a an amalgam of steel into something else, into gold, all as one, clearly one cast piece. Yeah, that's going to be a tourist attraction, that is. And only a bit radioactive. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. You've got you, okay. You've gone from restrained and 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 conserving conserving the timeline to wild and and woolly. You at one point you were talking about maybe a thirty years after um, one-off uh, session. Is, is that still, uh, maybe maybe? All right. I, I have no immediate plans. Um, we were also at one point talking about um, a sort of seven years after you know, at the con- uh, coronation of Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, the the group gets together and talks about old times and may, maybe has one, a, a, one more adventure. Um, but I haven't come up with something that feels right for that. Fair so, enough. and it may happen or it may not. And one one of the players, I'm I'm extremely happy and flattered to say, uh, would like to continue in the same setting, but in in a different part of it. So basically, the the plan is to to generate a whole new set of PCs. He will run the game. Uh, and we are jumping to India around the start of the war, because this is one that the that uh, the campaign I ran never really touched on. Yeah, plenty of for obvious reasons. There, are, there's plenty of mystic weirdness um, mm-hmm. you can draw on out of, out of the various Indian traditions. And, and, and practically to... everybody is is an advocate for Indian independence, but there are the ones who are prepared to work for the British, and the ones who aren't. Yeah. I was going to say, all right, why do you think, what do you think that you did right that made, made it go well? And what um, what were the qualities of the players that you think made it go well? There's so much stuff as part of it. Um, when When I end a campaign, it tends to be because I'm running out of ideas for new and different things to do that, that aren't just a rerun of the previous adventure or a previous adventure. Yeah. And in this case, there was the entirety of the recorded history of World War Two to draw on. Yeah, there's lots of stuff going on, lots of weirdness. Uh, I I got into the being able to say, okay, here is this slightly odd thing, and here is this other slightly odd thing. What what do they have in common? What what root magical cause might cause both of those things to happen? And what would the person making that magic actually be wanting to happen as a result of it? I notice you have a prejudice against magicians getting what they want. 
No, the, the party of magicians, and they are largely getting what they want. I have a prejudice against ritualists because I've met a lot of them. And uh-huh. they, and there is a certain personality type that, that seems to be attracted to ritual magic. And I'm sure our lawyers can sustain... They, they tend, in my experience, to be fairly horrible people, entirely self-interested, uh, utterly situationally ethical. You know, if I'm doing it, it's the right thing to do. If you're doing it, it's not. Um, completely without shame in terms of doing other people down. And very, very stupid. I mean, if you're going to do a, a magical procedure... The last thing you do is trust one that somebody else, whom you don't even know, who wrote it down. You make up your own. Yeah, that's assuming that you can. But, yeah. Uh... I mean, the, 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 this is people who are, who are programming in Excel macros when the entire universe of, of, of real programming languages is out there. And, and they're copying in bits of Excel macro they found on the web. Um, the, the reason, Some of our listeners may understand that reference. The reason that um, the whole Princess Charlotte working went, went a bit wrong. The, 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 the German ritual group was, was uh, trying to get power by sacrificing prisoners. Oh, my life. They didn't get that a sacrifice is, is valuable in, proportional, in proportion to its value to you. Yes. So when they tried a, a big, powerful sacrifice of life, the spell turned round and said, ooh, a life that you value a lot. I know where I can find that. Yoink. They, they uh, had, had a report on this from, from some of the escaped prisoners afterwards. <laughs> ah, all right. You, um, you never had the enthusiasm I did when I was running the Dawn of Magic for specifying too much the the magical system or expanding it well i've specified the the in-world magical system um you know there there is a thing about mana level and if it gets too low then then matter stops working if it gets high enough then um, potentially other bad things could happen uh then you know it, it works by you drawing power into yourself and shaping it and putting it out again all that sort of thing no that's that that's there I know. I just just as in a science fiction game, I need to know how the hyperdrive works, so that when the players start futzing with it, I know how it'll behave. Similarly, in this, I need to know how the magic works. That doesn't mean I have a set of rules for everything that can happen. Well, the yeah, but you let the stuff that the players could use be developed by the players. Largely, I mean, there was always approval, but a player would say, "I would like to start developing this power," and I would think. Yeah, okay. I was thinking more of the ritual, ritual magic, which, especially in the hands of film masters, could go, uh, could um, generate some very interesting results. <laughs> yes, but it's also quite restricted in what it can do because you, that that is a system that is working off a list of spells. Ah, oh, so you know, uh, this, yeah, this is pathbook path magic in Gert's thaumatology. So, so you have uh, thing, things like the read the manual spell, which which teaches you how to operate a particular device. But, uh, he he then had read the engineering manual, which teaches you how to build the particular device. That that was a newly developed ritual because they were finding some very weird things. <laughs> wanted to know how to, what they were. So hang on, in in universe, was that I want to discover a thing that does this, or I want to create a thing that does this? Uh, he de- the the character developed that ritual 
with, with reference sources, but essentially from from his own knowledge. I mean, the, the character does have Thaumatology twenty by this point, That's so you know he's he's quite good at this. Yeah, I yeah I would have also, also magic has bla- has very definitely become public by the end of the war. There have been enough magical things happening that there would be no point in denying it. And uh, John has knocked up some documents along the lines of what what will what will post war control of magic look like? Yeah, we we've got this consideration that people are just going to start po- randomly popping up with powers. Apparently, yeah, let, let let us get this on some sort of regulated basis. Hopefully, it's nothing like the the Metahuman Registration Acts, um, <laughs> the the Marvel, which I always think. Are perfectly logical things for an American to come up with, but nobody else would would tolerate. Well, th- this is more a question of actions rather than capabilities. You know, the the key thing is if if you do a thing by magic that would be illegal, it is still a thing that is illegal. Yeah, you you may you, there may need to be different ways of catching you, but you but you are still a criminal. And magic- what you are not a criminal for is having magic. Yeah. Because we uh, want, we want, for example, the Royal College of Physicians to, yeah, yeah to to be able to bring in consultant uh, wizards. Yes, I, I quite agree. But the uh, I, I was just going to say that uh, uh, that using magic may be an aggravating circumstance, just as using a gun uh, can be. Yes, I mean, if 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 you, what one of the examples, and it, it's an example I I often think about in worlds that have. Uh, mind-controlling powers is if you use magic to talk someone into bed and send them away happy, that is still rape. Yeah. Even if they might have consented, they didn't yes. get the chance to. Yeah, quite. The, so uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you had fun. It sounds like. Yeah, and I, I, I think the players did too. I mean, they stuck around. <laughs> are you? Uh, are you? Are you? Are you coming to the end of this? Um down or up and do you have a next plan i don't uh i have tried a couple of times to to build campaigns with the same sort of legs and it hasn't worked uh one of them being wives and sweethearts which which i enjoyed but particularly towards the end i felt it was getting out of anything i really had any uh direction for yeah um... uh so yeah I, I have run several other games which have gone back to the sort of 12-ish sessions model that does generally work quite well for me i i haven't come across anything else that really feels as though it has the same legs well i was going to say to you don't think of this uh this may be the best of your uh, campaign you've run but don't think of it the, as, a, as the best one of your life think of it <laughs> as the best one so far I have limited time to run another fourteen-year campaign. Granted, I, I, I am yes, you, you are more than fourteen years older than me. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and neither of us knows what our our expected lifespan, well, what our actual lifespan is going to be. At the moment, I'm trying to work up the enthusiasm for my next thing, um, but I, 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 I'm thinking about some of the things I've done before. But I don't see any reason why I can't do things as good as that, or even better. Hmm. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not saying. Well, I mean, this, yes, this is the best campaign I have run. I, I don't think there's any doubt of that. Think, thinking of the other stuff I have run, some of it's been pretty good, but this was the best. Um, does that mean I'm not going to try to run another campaign? No, but, but I, did, I didn't set out thinking this one is going to be so much better than everything else. I set out thinking this is going to be a campaign I run. So yeah. 
it may it may, it may well be that I hit the right circumstance again. I mean, I'm I'm still playing with many of the same players, um, yeah. and they do get involved in stuff, and that's great. But it's but clearly there has to be something else in there as well, or yeah. every campaign I've run with them would take off in the same way. Okay, well, here's to it, and here's to you, Roger. And I think we, we've we've tried our listeners' patience for long enough, so let us wrap. That was a super extra bonus bumper edition of Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And if you want to tell us about the best campaign you have ever run... And and why was it the best? Yeah. Why? Why does something spark and some things don't? It is a mystery. But we'll be back to talk about something probably related to role-playing games next month. And give us a shout on the website or email podcast at techelli.ly. You see, I was enjoying it so much I forgot that bit. <laughs>